and welcome to the Mean Time to Insight podcast brought to you by Enterprise Management Associates and presented by EMA Vice President of Research, Seamus McGillicuddy. The EMA Mean Time to Insight podcast explores emerging trends and technologies in the world of network infrastructure and operations. Hello, and welcome to Mean Time to Insight, a network management podcast. I am Seamus McGillicuddy. I'm the Vice President of Research for Enterprise Management Associates, an industry analyst firm that looks at the IT industry. And I myself, I specialize in understanding what uh, enterprise network infrastructure and operations people and IT operations people are doing, what they're, what they're trying to achieve with their networks, what kinds of things they're struggling with, what their visions are for the future. I survey thousands of people a year. I talk to dozens of Fortune 500 network engineers and architects on the phone every quarter, just trying to keep an eye on what's happening in the industry, what people want to do with their, their networks. And um, I'm starting this podcast meantime the insight to sort of give you a monthly view into what my research is showing and uh, what the networking industry is doing and where things are heading um, my goal is to just uh, start a dialogue with people in the industry and help them um, understand what my research is finding and, and maybe some people want to join that dialogue and, and jump on this podcast and talk to me about what they're seeing um, but really, uh, this is just meant to be like a 15 minute or so, uh, download for you of, you know, what you as a network operations professional or IT operations professional should be thinking about on the job, uh, as you're trying to stay ahead of, uh, industry trends and trying to optimize your approach to your job. For this inaugural episode of Meantime Insight, I'm going to talk about, uh, my predictions for 2024. What you as a NetOps professional, IT ops professional might be dealing with in terms of network management next year. And this is all guided by what I'm seeing in my research. First off, I think most of you by the end of next year will be using some kind of artificial intelligence or machine learning powered solution to manage some aspect of your network. Um, what you're going to see is a lot of your existing vendors are going to start, if they haven't already, offering you AI-driven features within your uh, installed uh, solutions, whether that's you know your network infrastructure vendor or your network management tool vendor, like whoever you use to monitor your network or automate your network. They're all starting to invest in and deliver AI driven solutions, you know, and it's not, you know, you may look at AI ops, for instance, as this sort of domain agnostic platform that pulls events from your tools uh, to do event correlation across your entire IT stack. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about AI that's trained specifically on networks and network data. Um, many, uh, vendors are enriching their solutions with this technology, uh, especially in the management layer of your network. And how does this help you or how will this help you? Well, people who use this today that tell me that uh, it's led to an optimization of their networks to better meet the needs of their business. They also say it makes their network more responsive to change. They're just able to pivot when the business needs need something new. Um, it also, they say, reduces security risk, 
adds resiliency to their network. So they're, you know, less likely to have downtime or performance degradation. And also they're just operationally more efficient. Like they, people are working more quickly, getting things done faster. People who are lower skilled are delivering more value to the team, things like that. What will this look like? Like what, if, if, if you were to start consuming AI from your vendors, what's it going to look like? Well, one, we see a lot of people are looking at automated troubleshooting workflows. Like you click, you click on an alert and you see a natural language explanation of the root cause of whatever issue is related to that alert. Uh, AI, that's AI usually doing that. It, you'll see related alerts presented in the contact saying this alert is triggering alerts here, here. These are the other alerts that are being triggered by this alert. Our AI engine has determined that. So you can ignore those other alerts and just solve this one. And perhaps it will present a suggested fix for the issue in natural language, uh, probably with a probability score that tells you how confident the system is in its analysis and its conclusions so that you can just click a button to fix an issue as opposed to trying to figure things out. It, now, these automated troubleshooting workflows won't solve every problem at least in the next year, two, three, five years. But a lot of problems that you often have to uh, noodle uh, on your own uh, will suddenly be automated through an AI platform. We're also seeing a lot of people taking advantage of intelligent alerting and escalations where you reduce noise by correlating dozens or hundreds of alerts, alerts into larger events. The system will then automatically escalate that event to the right subject matter expert based on what it's seeing and all the correlation. So that one's a big game changer because it just, you know, re instead of having a thousand open alerts and open tickets on your network, maybe you'll just have like 10 or 20. It just makes it easier for to figure out what to tackle and who to, needs to tackle the problem. And we're also seeing interest in uh, AI-driven vendor management, meaning automated analysis of and recommendations for how to address the security patches that your networking vendors might send you, or maybe automating your customer support interactions. Uh, the, you know, the ticket opens before you know you need to open a ticket, and your vendor reaches out to you proactively and says, we're seeing this issue, we're working on it, let's talk. That's what we're seeing as early wins with that. So that's my first prediction for 2024. You're going to start seeing stuff like that. The, no, the next thing you're probably going to see is pain with secure access service edge, or as some people like to say, SASE. Um, if you're looking at SASE as the next evolution of your wide area network, chances are you're going to encounter some problems. Only 11% of the organizations that we surveyed told us that um, they're finding the transition from software-defined WAN to Secure Access Service Edge to be pain-free uh, because this transition involves integrating SD-WAN with SASE points of presence. That's where all the cloud-based security services live with SASE, as you may know. Um, Secure Access Service Edge is the integration of the software-defined WAN solutions that almost every enterprise is using today with cloud-delivered security, which lives in points of presence across the globe. Uh, where you get things like um, um, uh, CASB and, S and, and firewalls of service and zero trust access, network access. Um, that's all um, 
adding a lot of complexity to people's environments as they as they go from a traditional SD-WAN network where a lot of the security is delivered at the edge or in the data center core of your network to all this cloud-based security. Because suddenly the overlay of your software-defined WAN needs to be routed through these SASE POPs, these cloud-based points of presence that are everywhere. And you need to account for things like well, what if one of those pops suddenly becomes unavailable for whatever reason? And I need to fail over to another pop somewhere else, some other points of point of presence to maintain my my network security. There's a lot of work to do on you know building that failover in, making sure that all your tunnels on your SD-WAN overlay are uh, are designed properly with the proper failovers and and and, and um you know, minimum minimal uh, latency added to the network as as those tunnels are going in different directions with to the different pops. And some of the issues that we see uh, with you know causing SASE pain uh, as people transition to it is multi-vendor SASE. Uh, most companies we talk to and survey are telling us they're combining two or more vendors to achieve a SASE architecture. They're taking their SD-WAN vendor for the network layer, and then they're taking some sort of secure service edge vendor, uh, you know, a cloud-based security solution provider as the, as the security layer of the SASE architecture. And then they're integrating that. And it's not trivial for the reasons I just described. Um, they're also, a lot of enterprises out there right now have multiple SD-WAN vendors for a variety of reasons. Um, they might have different business units using different vendors. They might have gone through one or more mergers and acquisition activities that have uh, led to the network team inheriting multiple SD-WAN environments that they're trying to manage as one and maybe uh, consolidate which also is another one. Uh, they're often transitioning from one vendor to another and a typical SD-WAN changeover from one vendor to another can take a year or more. And so if you're going towards a SASE architecture where you want to integrate your software-defined WAN environment with the secure service edge component, you need to do multiple integrations of SD-WAN vendors with that cloud-based security. That's not easy. And then the other thing we're seeing is observability. SD-WAN and SASE solutions, they build these overlays over your network connectivity. And many network teams struggle to maintain a complete view of the WAN underlay, which can break a SASE environment. Think about how, you know, if you have a, a, a WAN and you've implemented SASE on it, how do you know that your users are consistently connecting to the closest cloud-based security point of presence in that SASE architecture. Can you see that clearly? Do you have users in Boston who are supposed to connect to a SASE point of presence in New Jersey uh, before accessing applications in your multi-cloud network? And then one day, let's say your ISP has a routing issue in that region that suddenly starts sending all those Boston users to a SASE point of presence in Texas for some reason, adding all this latency to their Zoom or WebEx meetings. You need deep visibility to ensure that that doesn't happen. And that's what we're seeing. Like enterprises are telling us this is causing us pain. So sassy pain is in your future. Um, just be prepared for it. Uh, and my recommendation is to work with managed service providers as much as possible so they can abstract a lot of the complexity and pain out of the equation for you. But even then, you're going to want to actively uh, monitor your network to make sure that they're delivering what you hope they're delivering. Uh, number three, the next 
my next prediction for you is multi-cloud networks. The day of network engineers um, seeding cloud to the application team is over. It was never a good idea anyway. Network engineers were initially asked to just prov provision direct connections from their data centers into the public cloud and then walk away. That's what most of the conversations were like, right? And then you were expected to, to, to maintain and troubleshoot that direct connection from your data center into the cloud. But you weren't allowed to really touch the cloud because the app team didn't trust you, right? So then like you weren't, you weren't able to see, you know, what's happening in the cloud and, and, and correlate that with how to manage the, for instance, capacity of your direct connections. And so you're sort of operating blindly, right? Now things are getting more com complex because it's not just one cloud that you're one cloud provider that your cloud and application team is, is playing with, but it's two, three, four. By the end of 2024, nearly 86% 86, 86 of network teams will be supporting multi-cloud environments, meaning they'll be operating in more than one infrastructure as a service provider. So maybe you started in AWS, now you got Azure, perhaps you got Google. Um, many of those companies, they will operate siloed clouds, right? So Certain applications will live in AWS, others will live in Azure, never the twain shall meet. But 48% of the network professionals who are dealing with multi-cloud environments right now tell us that they are focused on delivering connectivity between those clouds, which means traffic is traversing from your AWS environment directly to your Azure environment, or applications are migrating from one to the other, or applications are spanning multiple clouds. And now there's all this complexity on the networking side of things that gets introduced into the cloud environment. And that's when you're going to get sucked into the conversation and asked to solve problems. Whereas a month before you weren't allowed to touch the cloud so i'm expecting organizations will start adopting some kind of multi-cloud networking solution that sort of takes away a lot of the complexity of working with the the networking features and, and services that the cloud providers use within their their environments and some you know provides something that can help you consistently manage connectivity and security across multiple clouds. Security is going to be the biggest selling point with this, with CIOs, but that's just the beginning. Like you are going to see the opportunity to consistently manage load balancing, transit routing, ingress control. Um, you'll be able to get more visibility into e egress fees. Um, there's a lot of opportunities there and there's a lot of vendors that are touching this. There's some startups. You'll see SD-WAN and SASE vendors start to touch, start to, to offer multi-cloud networking solutions. Um, you'll see uh, network service providers like your telcos and your WAN providers try to help you with this. Uh, you'll see your incumbent data center networking and switching uh, vendors uh, try to offer something in the future, although maybe not in 2024, unless they acquire somebody. And so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, my fourth uh, prediction is that cloud-native application platforms, Kubernetes, is going to start driving you crazy and is going to start making you think, like, how do I contribute to the solution here? Network infrastructure and operations teams Will find themselves getting pulled into conversations about how they can help improve the performance and security of Kubernetes environments, whether it's in the cloud or in the data center or, or elsewhere. 
Our latest research found that this technology, Kubernetes, is the number two driver of NetOps strategies today. Only cloud transformation, public cloud, is, is, is a bigger driver. Most network teams who are involved in multi-cloud networks tell me that they're looking at how to provide something like a layer seven connectivity capability between apps in their, multi, in their different cloud provider environments, basically saying they need to facilitate connections between Kubernetes clusters that is native to the application layer. So that tells you that like people are already thinking to themselves, how can I, as a network team, um, help the, 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 cloud native application platform teams um, improve their approach to networking and security and observability, visibility. Also, network engineers um, who tell me that they're responsible for load balancers and lo application delivery controllers uh, have told me that this year they need their, their load balancing vendors to start integrating um, Kubernetes um, into their platforms to facilitate connectivity, security, and observability. Um, here's a direct quote from one network engineer I talked to. Uh, he said, the way that uh, my load balancing vendors integrate with Kubernetes and containers is important right now. The way we're doing it is trying to script it all and it's not great. I need better integration with containers. Uh, for example, when a pod is automatically added or deleted, it is important to automatically add that into the load balancer. So the load balancer is aware of the change. That was a direct quote from a network engineer at a Fortune 500 bank. Um, a network engineer from a Fortune 500 energy company said, you need to evolve your products as a load balancing vendor to support the microservices architecture. That is the big thing we're talking about, making the API routing for microservices more friendly. Um, so... What I'm seeing is Kubernetes is everywhere and the network team needs to help facilitate that. There will be a lot of uh, innovation in this industry uh, coming from the networking vendors over the next few years and leveraging things like, uh, uh, they'll be leveraging things like Evolve Packet, uh, Evolve uh, Berkeley Packet Filter technology to create services in the Linux kernel that can support networking and security and observability. And the network team needs to be a part of that conversation. And I think you'll be adopting solutions to facilitate that. My final prediction for 2024 is that hybrid work is going to force a lot of changes to your on-prem network, especially um, uh, the Wi-Fi network. Uh, what we're seeing is hybrid workers, these people who float between the office and the home, you know, to, they, they might work from home three days a week and come in the office tw twice a week. They're, they're working differently than people used to work in, in the past. Actually, anyone who worked from home during the pandemic, like their working styles has changed dramatically. Web conferencing, video communications, desktop sharing, and other rich media applications have been fully integrated into the workflows of knowledge workers. And they carry that with them when they go back to the office, whether it's hybrid or full-time office work. Um, one network engineer told me he's integrating all his WAN circuits because of this. It's not just the WAN. The LAN is getting hit hard too. The bandwidth demand of these applications is really high and they're very sensitive to networking issues. So um, a lot of people are recognizing that Wi-Fi connectivity in the office has to be more robust. Um, and you'll just need more capacity in that Wi-Fi network and in the switching uh, network behind it. Because the, uh, and the other big issue here is mobility. People who people are less likely to be tethered to desks today than they were five years ago. Actually, a lot of them don't even have assigned desks. They don't plug into an Ethernet port. They are Wi-Fi first, and they're moving uh, around the physical space of an office. People want to interact more than they were 
uh, before the uh, pandemic, and they they want to be face to face with people when they're in their office. So they will sit together in a conference room or a lunchroom or sit on the stairs together with their laptops and collaborate. And this means that your Wi-Fi heat maps that you used uh, to uh, design coverage of your network is out of date. Uh, your ideas of adequate AP access point density and coverage are are way out of date. You need to expand and upgrade your wireless network to address this new normal. Um, also, there are new opportunities to leverage location-based apps on the Wi-Fi network to do things like uh, tracking the occupancy of hot desks and conference rooms. Um, with, with COVID and other seasonal illnesses in play still, Wi-Fi can also track public health guidelines and say, oh, it's flu season. Um, let's enhance the ventilation in these rooms when occupancy goes up and enforce limitations on how many people can be in a room when flu season and COVID season is in full swing. So that's another thing that you can benefit from if you upgrade your Wi-Fi network to deal with this change in work. And one last thing, hybrid workers will persist and access control complexity is going to be a problem for you. Network teams tell me they're trying to unify the, their approach to how they manage uh, network access policy and enforcement in their on-premises network and with their remote, their secure remote access solutions. Um, most of them aren't happy with their current approach to that unification, which is why you're going to see start, you're going to see vendors increasingly talk about things like universal zero trust network access, which is a solution that unifies access control in your corporate sites and uh, for your remote workers in their homes. Siloing these technologies doesn't work anymore because there's so much remote work and you want a consistent approach to policy and enforcement of policy to reduce errors and eliminate gaps in your security architecture. So that's what we're going to see in 2024 as well. And those are my five predictions for 2024. And you know, uh, hopefully uh, you are seeing some of this and aren't disagreeing vehemently while you're listening to this. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts on this or anything else that's going on in the networking world. And uh, you can reach me at uh, Seamus, S-H-A-M-U-S, at E-M-A-U-S-A dot com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Seamus, E-M-A. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Thanks, Seamus, for all your great insights on today's topic. And thank you to everyone who listened. Learn more about Enterprise Management Associates, research and consulting services by visiting enterprisemanagement.com. 